Son of God, He is near. He chose to walk with us these tribal trails. Hi, and welcome to Tribal Trails. We're here with Dr. Gary Parker. Welcome to the program. Uh, thanks, Bobby. Glad to be with you. <laughs> A lot of people wonder about dinosaurs. What does the Bible have to say about dinosaurs? Uh, that's actually become my favorite topic. But uh, even Christians say, well, you can't talk about dinosaurs in the Bible. I've looked. The word dinosaur isn't even in the Bible. Well, the reason for that is that the word dinosaur wasn't made up until 1841. That's when scientists actually finally got interested in these uh, interesting creatures that kids have been interested in for a lot longer. Uh, and uh, well, it's a young lady along the south coast that brought back a, a big bone. Her husband took it to Sir Richard Owen, Christian anatomist, world-renowned first curator of the British Museum of Natural History. And he recognized it as reptilian, lizard-like, but more awesome than any lizard he'd ever seen. And so he put two Greek words together, dinosaur, you know, terrible lizard, awesome lizard, something like that. And so that word entered. But the Bible describes animals whose description matched known kinds of dinosaurs. Uh, one, as uh, God himself is describing the wonders of nature to Job, and uh, Job has been wanting to present his defense to God for all the, what he calls unjust suffering he's been going through and so on. And, and so God answers him from a whirlwind. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And he begins to recite the wonders of creation, the stars he calls by name, the wild horse, uh, the ostrich. And then he gets to a creature that King James translators didn't know what it was. And so they were honest enough not to translate it. They just made the Hebrew pronounceable, kind of like Yahweh and a Jehovah. And so, behold now, behemoth, which I made with thee. And then it describes it. He had bones like bars of iron. Uh, you know, his strength was in the muscles of his belly. He could hold his mouth against the mighty rushing of the Jordan River at flood stage. And he had a tail like a cedar tree. <laughs> well, some modern translations say, that's ah, an elephant. But of course, uh, cedar tree is a symbol of strength and power all throughout the scripture. And the elephant has a tail like a reed. <laughs> Hippopotamus has a little propeller tail like you'd find on you know, some Joe cat, something like that. But now this kind of dinosaur, now there's an animal with a tail like a cedar tree. So the long necks, uh, these four-legged sauropods, long neck and head on one end, big cedar-like tail on the other end. A lot of modern reconstructions have the tail sticking out instead of dragging along behind. Look at Behemoth, which I made along with you and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength it has in its loins, what power in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar, the sinews of its thighs are close-knit. Its bones are tubes of bronze, its limbs like rods of iron. It ranks first among the works of God. And it's fun when we have kids at our museum down in Florida. Could any of you, anybody here, would you be able to lift a dinosaur up over your head and hold it up in the air? And of course, no, no. Well, I say, sure you could. 
They look, what? You know, said, is this a life-size model? Is this how big the dinosaur was? No, yeah, it was when it first hatched out of its egg. <laughs> and usually, ooh, ah, you know. <laughs> and so here's, a, now this is a small one. It's a little, looks a little model of a, a picture of a stegosaur hatching out of an egg. And some of the dinosaur eggs were just chicken size. Some were smaller. Some of the dinosaurs were rabbit size, mouse size, and so on. The average dinosaur was only about the size of a small pony or a big dog. Now, a few of them got way bigger. Uh, but the average elephant is way bigger than the average dinosaur. The big dinosaurs are way bigger than the biggest elephant. Uh, but so they have a big range of sizes. And so you could hold a you know, behemoth in your hand, put a little string around its neck, take it for a walk in the park. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they, you know, in fact, uh, when I was a child, we used to do that with alligators. Before they were an endangered species, you could buy alligators, and you know, you get them about that long. Next yeah. year they're about this long. Next year yeah. they're about this long. <laughs> and uh, that's one of the trouble with lizards; they just keep on growing. A lot of them continue to grow. The rate slows down, but they grow throughout their life. Uh, there's a fossil crocodile, 50 feet long, that weighed more than T. Rex. And, of course, T-Rex, that's a dinosaur. Even adults know what a T-Rex is. <laughs> and so, you know, I'll show a little model, you know, of a T-Rex and, and ask the kids, you know, could you let a T-Rex perch on your shoulder like a parrot? You know, oh, you know, it's just, oh, no, you know, oh, it's bite your ear off, bite your head off. Something horrible would happen. And that, that lets us think for a minute. Well, you know, can anybody tell me what did the first, the very first T-Rex eat? Hmm. You know, and a lot of times, you know, some kid, well, the first T-Rex ate plants. And usually the other kids, what, you know, eat plants? Well, according to the history book of the universe, okay, God's world, the one who made dinosaurs on day six, actually, same day made people, uh, you know, said that, you know, to the first people, I give you every green plant for food and to every beast of the field, every bird of the air, every a living thing that creepeth upon the ground wherein there is life. And that's a phrase that includes scaly skinned animals like T-Rex. And uh, there's actually a debate among uh, scientists about what T-Rex might have eaten. Uh, I'll get back to a man named uh, uh, Jack Horner was the science expert for Jurassic Park. Uh, the original, I don't know whether he was involved in Jurassic World or not. And uh, he said, you know, we had to exaggerate to make Jurassic Park. You know, there's a scene where a T-Rex is chasing a Jeep full of people down the road. He's, ah, the Jeep could have got away from him in second gear. You know, T-Rex just wasn't built for speed. <laughs> in the new model, instead of having T-Rex standing up like this and looking around and, you know, he's bent over like this, with tail sticking straight out, the head and those big teeth down near the ground for ripping into pumpkins, watermelons, cantaloupes, things like that. Could that be? Well, the Bible tells us they were created, you know, just to eat plants. Uh, and uh, the rooting of their teeth and their posture, uh, there are a lot of animals today with big, sharp teeth that are still plant eaters like God made all of the creatures to start with. It's a vicious looking animal from the skull. That, I mean, it's big teeth, you know, and, and if an evolutionist only had the skull, they'd make up stories about what a vicious carnivore it was. But it's a bat the flying fox that actually has a face that looks like a fox and it's got backward pointing, curved pointed sharp teeth, but it's the fruit bat, 
and it just use those teeth for ripping and slashing into mangoes, papayas, bananas. <laughs> we see a lot of them in Australia. And so you can have big, sharp teeth and still be just a plant eater. But I have to warn you, you know, the Bible also says man's sin ruined that perfect world. And uh, so, of course, the first man born, this is really sad, killed his brother. Yeah. <laughs> and some animals begin to kill other animals. People begin to kill animals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so now uh, you kind of have to go case by case. The Bible tells us two things. Number one, God created us and the animals just to eat plants. Number two, man's sin brought death into the world. And now men kill other men and animals and animals. Some animals kill other animals. Uh, but you didn't really have to change the teeth. You know, a lot of times evolutionists, you mean God redesigned them? He took away all those big sharp teeth and gave them little flat ones? No. Lots of animals. I've mentioned the fruit bat, but that's not the only one. The silver langer monkey looks like a little saber-toothed tiger and monkey version. It's just a leaf eater. And so you can have big sharp teeth to piranhas. You know, those fish in the Amazon River that can shred a carcass of a cow, you know, in minutes. Well, they actually use those teeth also just to shred the seed coat off seeds. And they eat way more seeds than they do fleshy things. And, uh, well, how do you know what an animal ate? If you weren't there to see it, well, scientists have an amazing tool that helps them find out what an animal ate, even if they didn't see it, even if the animals become extinct, if you could only find a coprolite. What is it? What is that? <laughs> All right. Petrified poo. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, uh, fossilized animal droppings. <laughs> and if you have a rock saw, my wife has a rock saw, you can slice off a piece of dino poo, <laughs> polish it, uh, look at it on the microscope, and see what the animal ate. If it was a plant eater, there'll be bits and pieces of leaves and twigs visible in it. If it was a meat eater, there'll be bits and pieces of broken bones or shells or something like that. So uh, even some of these animals that we wouldn't know directly if we find, and of course, you know, you can use scat animal droppings to track animals, stuff like that. You can recognize deer droppings versus rabbit versus horse versus cow and all that. And then among fossils, if you find this consistently with certain kinds of fossils, you can say, ah, that was probably the, uh, the droppings of that animal and uh, see what they ate. So uh, uh, that's kind of handy. There's now even a PhD program in paleoscatology, studying petrified poo. Well, whole new meaning to piled higher and deeper, okay? <laughs> so uh, we can learn a lot about uh, dinosaurs. And the more we learn about dinosaurs, the more we marvel at God's Word and the God who created those dinosaurs. And, of course, they weren't created mean or nasty. Nothing was. And, you know, Adam and Eve could walk around in the garden by moonlight. Here's some big rustling noise in the bush beside them. No surge of adrenaline, no fear, no what was that? You know, wonder what that was, you know. It'd be, be nice to live in a world like that. It's not the world we live in now, is it? <laughs> and uh, so the Bible's right both times. The world was perfect and the world is not perfect now. But it will be again at Christ's return. So we get the whole thing. Like lightning in the eastern sky Way out west, you return.
dinosaurs fit in biblical history? They were created. Actually, uh, of course, the land dinosaurs, some evolutionists restricted to the landforms on day six, same day as us, lived on earth with people. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And, oh wow, that'd be terrible. You know, we couldn't have a meeting and, you know, we'd have to build our houses underground. A dinosaur might step on the house and crush us. No, not all of them were that big. And some really big animals can be quite tame. In India, they use elephants as farm animals. Kids hop on their backs, ride them to the grocery store. And so just being big doesn't automatically make you mean or things like that. And so it really looks like it would not be that hard at all uh, to, for man and dinosaur to live on the earth together. And there is lots and lots and lots of evidence that that's exactly what happened. Uh, there's other material out there, but one of my favorites uh, comes from a Canadian author mm -hmm. and a good friend and actually attended some of the classes I taught as a biology, when I, he was a biology major. And uh, it's this book here. Uh, it was his first uh, uh, major book. I'm talking about Vance Nelson. Uh, from Red Deer, Alberta, Dire Dragons, part of a series called uh, uh, Untold Secrets of Planet Earth. And that's Draco Rex, the Dragon King on the front. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, uh, that was a mean-looking one. <laughs> uh, but they found fossils of that and so on. And so he actually not only writes about things like that, he does the research. And so he's been around the world taking uh, uh, pictures of sculptures, of paintings, uh, historical records. And they're from cultures all over the world. He breaks it down into different nations and their records of dinosaurs. Of course, a dragon, another name for dinosaur, uh, is a national symbol for China. Lots of evidence of dinosaurs into recent times. And uh, we've actually been in a little village in, in England that's famous for St. George killing a dragon. The town statue of the dragon he slew, uh, one of the smaller ones, their fossil of a dinosaur like that is found in the very same area. It's just, uh, just astonishing. But, uh, you know, Vance doesn't stop at, you know, just going to museums and places like that. Uh, so he and uh, 
Canadian adventurer, I'm going to call him, Harry Nyborg. Okay, they take off and <laughs> into the jungles, literally, you know, in Central America, South America, tracking down evidences in uh, the kind of story I like to read about rather than be on. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty dangerous. <laughs> yeah. uh, but among other things, uh, you know, he got, got wind of uh, some pictographs. And so there are lots of dinosaur carvings, petroglyphs etched in stone, and pictographs, uh, paintings in stone. And of course, native peoples in North America and South America, you know, drew lots of animals. And, uh, and you see them, you know, all over the place. There are lots of places, you know, preserved in the Americas uh, where the natives, uh, Americans, the first peoples in those areas have drawn the animals they're familiar with. And, uh, you know, a local park guide or an evolutionary scientist will say, well, look at this. You know, there's a bison. Uh, you know, there's an antelope. Uh, you know, there's a coyote. Uh, and, and this one's fake. You know, it looks like a dinosaur, but we know they didn't really see that. And here's a bear. And you know, <laughs> they recognize all the animals, but then they try to pretend the dinosaur. Well, they must have made that up. That was a fake. That was yeah. no evidence, mind you. They just want to say that. And uh, so uh, Vance gets wind of, you know, all these things that are happening out there. And uh, so uh, uh, he tracks down a lead uh, in uh, Peru that there's a pictograph uh, with, you know, pigment painted on the side of a wall. And there's a, a local uh, archaeology professor uh, that is not, not a Christian or a creationist, but he's an expert in this area. And so he takes him to the site and, and examines this. And he lets it be known, you know, that's, it, it is a drawing of a dinosaur. And all, from all the other animals, you know, they're drawing what they saw because they wouldn't have any reason to even make up an animal that looked like that otherwise. Okay, well then the plot thickens. And so Vance is able to take some of the, with the archaeologists, you know, oversight and all that, a sample, and not a destructive of the whole thing, and uh, get it uh, dated by a new carbon-14 dating technique. Hmm. Wonder when that might have been painted. If you know, if it was a fake that was made after. Remember, the word dinosaur wasn't even made up till 1841. So it was really recent. You know, a hoax. Uh, you wouldn't have a carbon-14 date. It wouldn't be old enough even to have that. Well, they used this method and got an answer. I, I, of course, I should look it up to get it. Well, that's in the Amazon expedition book. Is that story? Uh, but it's on the order of like 3,200 to 3,500 years. I'm sorry, I, for some reason I didn't memorize the exact uh, yeah. carbon, but it would be within that range. It's a little over 3,000 years. And uh, the archaeology professor, you know, you know that, that makes sense. That fits with the rest of the features. That fits with the cultures we expected to find in that region at that time. But it drives evolutionists crazy. And uh, so they just make up stories. Well, that's, you know, it's a fake. It's a this. And they don't go and investigate it. And, and that's a tragedy. But it does expose evolution as non-science. Not just nonsense, but non-science. Scientists don't write articles and publish them claiming it's something else when they haven't even looked at it. And we get a dramatic example of that by actually one of my favorite paleontologists, and so I don't want this to sound bad, Jack Horner I mentioned was the science expert for Jurassic Park, and he's the one that thought that T-Rex really was probably just a scavenger. 
you know, he, he might have eaten meat, but he didn't chase it down and eat it fresh. He waited till it died, <laughs> rotted, and softened yeah. up, <laughs> uh, you know, and then, then gobbled it up. But who'd go to see a movie, you know, about the world's biggest buzzard? Okay, you want something <laughs> a more dramatic in the movie. And, well, Jack Horner's a practicing paleontologist, and he's the head of the Museum of the Rockies in Bozeman, Montana, which wouldn't be all that far from here. And... Uh, and so uh, uh, he got a team together to excavate this. Only about the fifth fairly complete T-Rex ever found. There are way more human fossils than there are T-Rex fossils. Uh, but he got a team together that included Mary Schweitzer from a North Carolina State University. She's trained in forensics, the study of dead bodies and all that. But she wanted to get to work with something that didn't smell quite as bad, switch over to paleontology. <laughs> she was part of that team. And this was rugged country, okay? And uh, so they couldn't get trucks in there. They knew that. They already uh, hired a helicopter. Well, uh, we've excavated big elephants, mammoths and mastodons, down in Florida in our museum. And like anybody excavating big bones, you know, you'll splint it with some local timber or logs if you brought them in or two-by-fours or whatever, wrap it up in plaster. So when you pick it up, even if it cracks or breaks, it's still held in position. And so that's what they did with the big T-Rex leg bone but the helicopter couldn't lift it. Well, now what are we gonna do? So one of the uh, uh, members of the expedition says, well, you know, we got it all wrapped up in plaster jacket, let's just make marks and cut it in half. The helicopter can take each half back and we can line up those marks, put it exactly back together in the lab. And uh, what did they find when they cut that T-Rex leg bone in half? Now they were sure it was at least 68 million years old if it was a day. <laughs> it was found in so-called Cretaceous rock, which for an evolutionist means it has to be at least 65 million years old. And so, and the fossils around it fit with that pattern. So they couldn't really treat it as a dinosaur that lose, got loose and escaped, you know, until recently. It was really part of a rock layer that was all supposed to be that old. But what happened when they cut it open? And I've asked that question when I speak in universities, churches, just people on the street, you know, what happened? And, you know, you'd think everybody, every school kid would, and in fact, I tell them, don't raise your hand, just yell it out if you know what it was. And that's the usual response. Nothing. This is one of the most exciting things that ever happened. It ought to be all over the place. Everybody ought to know about this. They cut that T-Rex leg bone in half and it was practically bleeding. And so Vance got some pictures uh, that uh, in this book here, there are lots better pictures now, and really opened up a whole new uh, study area. This is on page 10 of his Dire Dragons book. And, uh, you know, I think you can see there, look, at uh, that's the natural color. He didn't add that color. It was red, red, squishy bone marrow, uh, full of blood cells, blood, blood vessels. Yeah. Wow, there was just a little bit of the bone around the outside that was mineralized. Uh, so it kind of acted as a case to preserve the soft tissue inside. Yeah. And now remember, this thing's supposed to be 68 million years old. And so <laughs> this is creating quite a stir. And again, evolutionists just demonstrated to the world that they have no respect for science. Soon as that got out, there were, oh, it's biofilm. Oh, it's a fungus. Oh, it's, without ever looking at it. 
how can you claim you've published in a referee journal if you haven't even looked at the specimen? You're just making stuff up. You know, no scientist would do that, but evolutionists do it all the time. And uh, remember, it's not science <laughs> until at least two scientists have actually looked at the evidence and used same techniques to draw the same conclusions. And so they tried to do what Peter said, okay, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain. Whoops, that's Romans 1. <laughs> for what can be known about God is plain to them. Uh, for God has shown it to them ever since the creation of the world. His invisible nature, His eternal power and deity is clearly seen in all the things that have been made. Well, they finally had to admit it really was blood. Mary Schweitzer grabbed a blood vessel, you know, on the 60 Minutes TV show yet, pulls it up with a pair of tweezers, it stretches, it stretches, she lets go, snap, snaps right back. A lot more stretchable than my blood vessels. <laughs> so they decided it was a young, healthy T-Rex right after the moment it got drowned in a flood. Okay, <laughs> And so uh, we know by direct observation that these things are not nearly as old as evolutionists claim. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Tribal Trails. Today we have learned from Gary Parker that dinosaurs are not really as old as evolutionists want us to believe. And they even lived at the same time as people. That's an amazing thought. Imagine if you had little dinosaurs running around as your pet, just like you may have a, a pet turtle or a pet dog. There's a lot of theories why they became extinct, but we'll never know for sure why they're gone. It's really amazing that the Bible told us about dinosaurs already, long before science. You can read about them in the Bible, as Dr. Parker explained. And that shows us that there's a lot more wisdom in the Bible than in man's ideas. We can trust the Bible more than any other source. But the Bible tells us a lot more. It tells us how we can live a meaningful and fulfilled life. A life in relationship with the real one and only God the God who is the creator of the whole world. The Bible says in a well-known verse in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're looking for the real meaning in life, read the Bible and join a group of Christian believers. If you want, you can also call us. We'll be glad to help you get your life in line with God. If I try to find my life, I'd lose it all one day. What good would it do to gain what will be taken away? One moment at a time So take my eyes off the ordinary